0: Welcome to the ABCs of Matrescence. We are two mamas, Emma and Mackenzie, and we both have toddler age boys. Here on our podcast, we chat all things real motherhood from A to Z and everything in between. Matrescence is the process of becoming a mother and that is exactly what we explore on each and every episode. So welcome guys. I do not have my normal sidekick with me today, but we are bringing back an extra special special guest, which actually you are the first repeat guest. So welcome Arielle from expect to sleep again and her new biz restfully
1: sleep well thank you so much it's great I, to be back i know it's and fun i'm honored to somebody to be on, on again for a second time i know i know well you are just such a wealth
0: of information and after our last one we definitely had people that were kind of moving on so we had ariel ariel on to talk about um baby sleep and that was in episode 24 so she kind of covered everything it was you know more the first year i guess of sleep or somewhere yeah. in that that timeline and we had so many follow-ups about okay now we're moving into toddler what (laughs) the heck do I do yes And, and since Mackenzie and I both have 20 20 month Old boys, we're um, on the brink of some sleep changes, I'm sure, and already yeah. experiencing. Before we got on, I was messaging you that oh, my child skipped a nap on Wednesday, and mm-hmm. fingers crossed he uh, took a nap today, which thankfully he did, but yes, all the woes. So, well, before we dive in, uh, just a little rapid fire QA just for fun, just so people can get to know you. So, quick questions
1: Coffee, do you like it hot or cold? Ooh, that's tricky. Um, Gosh, Pressure. I think I know. I know, for real. I know it's I mean, seasonal dependent. And it's but funny. Well, it will say today. But, <laughs> but I would say in New England, we are huge iced coffee people like year round mm-hmm. iced coffee people. But it's interesting. So when I'm home, I like hot coffee. But when I go out, I want iced coffee.
0: Oh, interesting. See, I'm almost the opposite. When I'm home, I want iced coffee. And when I go out, I tend to Mm. order hot coffee. So that's interesting. I have a friend that lives in Boston. And to me, I'm like, how do you drink cold coffee in the winter? (laughs) And that's all she drinks. All she drinks is iced coffee. Yep. Yep. You weirdos. I know we are weird. All right. Texting or talking? What's your preference? Texting.
1: Amen to that. Jeez. <laughs> Which I is know so funny because I used to get in trouble when I was in like junior high for being on the phone so much. And now I'm like, oh, man, my phone's ringing. I really don't want to pick it up.
0: <laughs> I am notorious for ignoring people and, you know, texting <sighs> them back later like, oh, sorry, yep. my toddler is doing something. I can't talk on the phone. But do you want to text? Them? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, babies are a great excuse.
1: Yes. All right. What's one of the favorite places you've ever traveled Ooh, oh my goodness that's a really tricky one um i think my favorite city is london actually oh um, fun. i really love london yeah oh, i know and haven't i haven't been, been there. in like 15 years so oh, Time well. To go back. well sounds like it sounds yeah like a
0: nice vacation when we're out of covid I land. So we all need it i know seriously all right sunrise or sunset Ooh, sunset nice Good. uh current guilty pleasure Oh gosh. T V show, a yeah, hobby, just something I mean, that's fun. I'm for a you. huge Bravo TV uh, housewives, huh? Which is
1: really unfortunate because right now it's like, you know, with COVID there's there's a lot of disruption to filming, so I don't know what I'm gonna do with my guilty pleasure because <laughs> I know. I know it's painful. <laughs> can't even watch it. Yeah.
0: I get that. All right. Last meal on earth. Which one of your faves?
1: Any sort of pasta. Mm, good yeah, call. I'm a huge pasta fan. Nice. Um, hardest part of parenting—that's been a challenge. Oh gosh. Um, boundaries. Mm. You know, being the tough guy, and that's—it's so funny too because a lot of what I teach when I work with parents is boundaries, and and that's a huge part of sleep, especially with toddlers, mm-hmm. um, and young school-age children, and it's just—it's so much harder to implement personally because you know you've got the heartstrings thing going and, oh
0: it's impossible I yeah mean, yeah you know that it's good for them but it's also really really hard so in the hard
1: moment. so yeah. hard and it's especially hard right now with covid and being mm-hmm. home all the time and remote learning and you know what should i be allowing should i screen time during the day no screen time during the day like you know it's just uh so I struggle the most with boundaries with parenting, yeah.
0: Well, I think we can all relate to that. Well, on the opposite side, what is one thing that your daughter does that just still makes your heart melt? How she, old is she now?
1: She is just turned six in September. Okay. Um, she is the best hugger on the planet and Aww. she just loves to snuggle and it's just the one it's like one of the best things in the world. Ah, uh,
0: those little sweet moments really do you know, even if you've had a rough day, your kiddo comes yep. and crawls in your lap and wants a hug and it does just make a lot of the the bad parts melt away. The challenging parts. So yep. I feel that. Owen, oh, my he's now about to be 21 months and he has learned he's talking more and more and he can say hug and kiss and all the things and it's adorable but he's also learning that it's a good way to keep mom and dad from leaving oh the second we try to leave the door he yells kiss kiss and so i don't know how many kisses i have to get but it's so hard when your kid's sitting there exactly a hug or a kiss boundaries Boundaries, like where
1: do you implement yeah you know i'm like i know you're kind of
0: manipulating me but it's totally working and i can't help it i know (laughs) i totally get it yep so anyway, last episode, we um, really kind of let Ariel answer all of your questions. We just let you guys submit a bunch of questions. Um, and I won't lie, this time, Mackenzie and I have snuck in several of our own <laughs> because who oh, help us. Um, so we're just going to kind of fire them off and let you share your expertise. So you ready? Yeah. All right. Just starting kind of a random order of things. So we're just going to go for it. But, okay, so what would you say is the average number of hours of sleep that a toddler needs? And and just to clarify, what do you kind of consider, I guess, the toddler sleep age?
1: Yeah, so technically speaking, a toddler is basically 12 months to 36 months. Um, Generally, we're looking at 10 to 12 hours of sleep overnight and one and a half to three hours during the day. I would say, though... It's very rare to see a toddler sleeping really well overnight and getting that ten to twelve hours, and also taking a a three hour nap. Yeah, (laughs) Um, so a lot of times, you know, I'll I'll get somebody who comes to me and says, "Well, he takes great naps. He sleeps four hours, and then he only sleeps like seven hours overnight. (laughs) You know, or something like that." Yeah, so you can't um, have it all. Yeah, it's I would say it's pretty rare to see a three hour napper who also sleeps well overnight, though, you know, some children need more sleep than others, as we talked about mm-hmm. in infancy as well. So um, the goal really for toddlers, is, as far as daytime sleep goes is you really want a minimum of an hour and a half of sleep. Now, this is gets a little tricky. So toddlers get really tricky because there's such a variance in when they're going to transition naps. So you know, like a 12 month old who's still on two naps, they still need two hours of daytime sleep because they need a good hour in the morning and a good hour in the afternoon. And if they're not getting an hour each, it's not as restorative. And that's usually a sign that it's time to move to one nap. As we get toward that one nap phase, which can happen anywhere from 12, 13 months to 18 months, that's when we more look at like one and a half as the minimum. Um, Mm -hmm. So it gets a little tricky. There are a lot of nuances in there. And then of course, if a child is napping at all, and is suddenly having major sleep problems, and it's sustained, we sometimes look at capping the nap even to as low as like 30 minutes if it's really affecting the overnight sleep, because overnight sleep is the most restorative that's what I was going to ask is yeah. what, what might so be a at, sign at that it's time yeah. to cap your nap. Like, sure. is there a sign? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if bedtime starts getting pushed out to some ridiculous hour, I've had some people say, well, if he gets a, an hour nap, he doesn't go to bed till 10 or 11 at night, and then he's still up at 6 in the morning. It's like, okay, well, and, and the, the issue becomes, okay, well, he's up at 6 in the morning, and um, and so by midday, he's exhausted because he's been up or he's up at five and whatever it is. He's up at six. He's only gotten seven hours of sleep or something. Mm-hmm. Um, he Of course, he's exhausted for the nap. But um, the nap becomes the issue that causes the overnight problem. And so it becomes kind of this vicious cycle. Yeah. But so the nap's
0: always the thing to, to shorten if there's sleep disruption overnight because that's yeah, most important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or a, a re, a readjust it. Um mm-hmm. Again, it it varies so much. It's so yeah. hard to like. I know an the answers answer. to everything.
0: Yeah. Is yeah, it Well, and that's yeah. what you do is you work with people one on one. Correct. Or, like, yeah, yeah. So, so general, I know how that but goes. in
1: yeah. a general term sense, you know, we're looking at ten to twelve hours of overnight sleep. Okay, and then so, you know so what might okay.
0: be a, a common age that you find that kids start to drop so if they've been on one nap for like i, I forget that some toddlers take two naps Owens oh, moved at 13 months to one nap so yep. it's been forever ago at this point i'm right. like oh i forgot what two naps were like but right. so what is kind of a common age that you find kids drop the nap entirely which is terrifying to me because so yeah will I do? <laughs> it is
1: really again that's there's a huge mm-hmm. variation in that um I mean, I like to hold on to the nap as long as possible. Um, So even if we're experiencing overnight sleep disruption, the last thing I'm going to do is just say, hey, let's drop the nap. Mm -hmm. Um, Even with a three or four year old, I want to make sure we're trying to keep them as well rested as possible. Uh, But dropping the nap can happen, you know, generally I like to wait at least till age three. And then some children are napping well into age five. So. I mean, the
0: way I see it, I'm an adult. And on the weekends,
1: when he naps, sometimes we'll lay down. Oh, absolutely. Nap. Naps are fantastic. <laughs> so, oh, you know. absolutely. I know. I feel the exact same way. Okay. But
0: so there so. isn't, as long as it's not totally interfering with nighttime sleep, there's not like Correct. a, you need to cut it off by three just because it's no, not age appropriate. No. Okay, no,
1: no, no, cool. no, no, no. As long as the child is still getting really good overnight sleep, there's no, like, no limit why. to that no yeah. absolutely not i mean my own daughter slept she napped until just a couple of months ago so five and a half yeah awesome. Um, well
0: i'm team nap so yeah me too all about too. it that is yeah. something all mamas need i think for sure so so you know toddlers especially when we are you know holidays are coming up our schedules mm-hmm. aren't exactly perfect like my son just transitioned to some daycare so our yes. naps are all over the place what do you do on those days where they just decide, we're, we're not going to take a nap, it gets skipped like we did on Wednesday?
1: <laughs> yeah, so the goal is like, even in the holidays, or if you have something going on on the weekend or something that's unavoidable, the goal is really to And your child still needs the nap, basically, not just like some, you know, like Mm -hmm. an older child that just doesn't. But like, if your child is regularly napping, and you have something, a holiday, something special happening, and they miss the nap, or they just protest it, the best thing to do is to put them to bed early. And that can be as early as 5 or 6pm. It sounds crazy. But we know that an overtired child going to bed too late is a recipe for disaster. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're uh, the number one reason for early wakeups is going to bed overtired, um, can also cause night wakings and things like that. But in the sense of holidays, like say you're not going to be home and you've got things going on, I really try to have my my clients prioritize getting a nap in some way shape or form so it may not be the normal nap in the crib um, it may be a nap in the car or you know perhaps on your lap or something, um, but something to keep your child well rested because just because there's really exciting stuff going on that's helping them skip their nap doesn't mean that they're not growing overtired. And the last thing you want on a holiday is a really grumpy overtired child. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're in a situation like that, I mean, for me, what I, what I personally did to survive um, was I hosted so that allowed me to get my child into her own crib, even if we had a party going on or something, you know, mm-hmm. she could take her nap. And then um, even if bedtime was a little bit later, at least she was home in her own crib. Uh, not everyone can, you know, host um, this yeah. year is probably going to be a little bit different anyway with COVID. Yeah, Thank God. but in
0: general, if you Ugh. can, yeah. try to prioritize some yes. sort of a nap for them. You some know. sort of and a nap. And if not, get them into bed early. Yes, yep. So yep. do you have a time? What? what I know, I yet again, I ask you these, what are common? I understand it's totally varying. But is there a kind of too late bedtime for a kiddo this age? Because I know at least Owen's bedtime has crept a little later the older he's gotten. So is there a point where you're like, all right, we probably need to get him into bed earlier?
1: Well, I think what you have to look at is when when your child is waking up for the morning. Um, well, I'm they, blessed because my child slept till eight a.m. this morning. So yeah, that, I know. I, mean, I know many people will hate me, including yeah. Mackenzie,
0: whose child's up
1: at five forty-five. So. Well, see, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's that's yeah. any a child sleeping until eight a.m. is very unusual. Um, it just most kids are up early. It's it's how they're programmed, um, and so. If you know that no matter when your child is going to bed, they're going to wake up at a certain time, you also have to think about how much overnight sleep is recommended for them to be well rested. Mm-hmm. So we go back to that 10 to 12 hours of overnight sleep. And, you know, if your kid is is always going to be awake at 6 a.m., that means and they need 10 hours of sleep to be well rested, then they need to be in bed by by 8 p.m. Now, if they always wake up at 6 and they need 11 hours, that backs up bedtime to 7 yeah. You know, so it I so just setting them up for success to get
0: the adequate amount of sleep, knowing correct. what time they generally wake up.
1: Yeah, and it becomes more of an issue, you know. Sometimes people are like, "Well, my kid sleep sleeps till nine every day," and or you know, my toddler sleeps till nine every day, so it's fine if they go to bed at ten o'clock at night, which I. Oh, my gosh, i lose yeah. my mind. I yeah. know. But, you know, <laughs> sometimes you hear these things. But the, the issue becomes if they get into this rhythm like that and then eventually they're getting ready to go to school, that really causes transition issues as they get older. So mm-hmm. it's really healthier. And studies have actually shown that going to bed before 9 a.m., 9 a.m., 9 p.m. for younger children really benefits them and gives them better quality sleep. Okay, good. I generally recommend eight or earlier only because most of my clients have children waking up seven or earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, usually closer to six. So we just want to make sure they're getting the, the amount of sleep they need to absolutely be well That makes sense.
0: Yep. I know the days are gonna be numbered before he does it. I mean, eight AM is like the latest he's that's a once in a blue moon. Thing. Yeah, it was more. We're yeah. sitting there staring at the monitor, going, "Why isn't he awake? Should we go check on? Is him? Is he sick? Yeah, um, exactly. But we are lucky that I'd say he's generally a seven fifteen to seven thirty kid, yeah, that's which great. is yeah, uh, no complaints until yeah. the time changes, and then who knows? But <laughs> yeah, oh <well. laughs> yeah. What can you do? So the scary part of Moving your toddler out of the crib. So let's chat that that transition. What are some of the signs? And I mean, do we really do we really have to? We can't keep them in baby jail for the rest <laughs> of their lives.
1: You know, some children really like to be in their cribs and don't really have a desire to climb climb out. So I wouldn't say that people need to anticipate that becoming a problem. I don't think it's like more often than not, you see kids climbing out of their crib. And so therefore you have to transition them. I would say it's probably 50, 50, um, and some children really enjoy being in their cribs. So, you know, the tricky part is when they climb out of their cribs before they're old enough to understand why they need to stay in their beds and in their rooms. And there's nothing, it's not as though the parents are doing anything wrong. Or the child is doing anything wrong. It's that their brain hasn't developed the skills to understand the self control needed <laughs> to mm-hmm. stay in their bed in their crib. And so, or in their bed and in, in their room after bedtime. So it's really a matter of, um, repetition and consistency that helps the younger children who end up escaping their cribs and you know, the parent has no choice but to to transition them. I recommend waiting until at least age three. Mm -hmm. Um, Around three is when they start to develop the self-awareness, the self-understanding, the self-control to stay in a bed in their room throughout the night on their own. Yeah. Um, before that, it's it's just a it's a matter of it's developmental, really. Well, I'm it sure there's also
0: not do. the communication skills. I mean, yes, you know, absolutely, that's a that, huge that's one. That's a barrier. Comprehension,
1: there. yeah, mm-hmm. and they
0: can't comprehend. Yeah. You know, the um, vocabulary. So, any tips for though? If you so, if somebody's kid though is you know at 22 months, 23 months, climbing out of the crib, it's still it's time to to get them out for safety. Yeah. Correct.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and for if that happens. Um, you know, I just had a client who had this happen just last month. And uh, we ended up first, we tried to convert to a toddler bed, but he kept ending up being on the floor anyway. So we ended up putting the mattress on the floor Mm -hmm. and he was very comfortable there. And, you know, there are two different approaches you can take based on your child. And, you know, one of the methods is called the camping out method, which is where you stay present with the child until they fall asleep. And then over the course of, of a week or two you start to f- move farther and farther away from the bed um until you're like in the hallway after you put them into bed so they sort of learn their independence and in like um don't need you as much near them and then eventually you're, you're you know you can put them in their bed and they stay there now for for some children that's so stimulating and they're like oh you're still here oh we can play like i'm gonna climb all over you and i'm gonna do this that and the other thing and i'm gonna get my toys out um so it's not it doesn't work for all children but it can work for some children i would say after age two it's very helpful often before age two um that tends to be a little too stimulating and in which in that case i usually say okay we might might want to try with some time check-ins where we go in at intervals and say you know it's time for sleep um i love you good night whatever and it might take some time it may take a lot of returning to the room for the child like if the child escapes the room i know you mentioned I don't know if we were recording yet, but um, if we were chatting offline, we mentioned someone saying that they had to put a lock on the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, ever recommend that. One of the yeah, things- that's what I was curious. I've heard yeah. some horror
0: stories of kids, you know, just running amok and then trying to run yeah. out of the
1: bedroom. And No, so the thing is, is, you know, one of the biggest fears children have at that age um, is separation from their parents. And I just can't imagine reinforcing that and then scaring them about their bedroom i mean that that would definitely if you think about a young child that's already have a fear you know having a fear of separation and then locking them in this room that they're not quite used to because they're used to being secured by four walls essentially of their crib mm-hmm. and then you're locking them in i mean i would never yeah, a little traumatizing yeah exactly yeah. Um, yeah. we want to make sure the sleep space is still considered somewhere that's restful and um, peaceful and calming, and not yeah. this scary place, because that can happen where they become traumatized of their room. So it's a lot of work, I would say, when you have to deal with a young child that's climbing out. Um, it requires a lot of consistency and a lot of exhaustion on behalf of the parents. But all those boundaries we talked about, yeah, the boundaries. And then there's a, you know, another thing that can be helpful is like one of those okay to wake clocks that signals to them. Because again, we talk about that verbal. Development. They don't yet have a lot of comprehension, or um, you know, they're not reading yet. So, a a um, visual cue to them that it's okay for them to call out Mm -hmm. for you or to get up and out of their bed. Those okay to wake clocks are excellent for that because they can say, "Okay, it's time for you. You're allowed. It's green. Your light is green. You can come out. You can call for me." And they're helpful at nap time as well. So, um, you know, visual things, books. Elmo has a lot of stuff about staying in bed, anything that can help them identify with what's expected of them. um, Because it's it's more difficult for them to comprehend that at that age. That makes sense. Well, I'm, I'm very grateful. I have a short child. And
0: I I don't think he can physically (laughs) climb out of his crib, his crib anytime soon, because he he really is on the short side of life. So I'm grateful for that. So, well, you kind of led into our next topic, um, separation anxiety. So, I know yeah. at least for us, and it's in, for Mackenzie's son Emerson, we've seen kind of a resurgence of separation anxiety in this mm-hmm. eighteen to twenty month stage. Yep. Um, and of it happens again around two years. So, how do you advise clients on tactics to kind of handle the separation issues when it comes to sleep?
1: Well, it's a combination of things because you've got the situation of separation anxiety, but you've also got the situation of toddlers are constantly searching for the boundaries and and knowing, like, okay, how far can I push to get what I want? <laughs> and then how far, you know, what are the boundaries, and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so making sure that you have a great, secure relationship with your child, spending lots of wonderful time with them during the day, reassuring them once or twice before you leave great but at some point you've got to walk away um and and also know that in doing that you're not just abandoning them you are just letting them know that yes i'm here for you i love you but guess what it's actually time for sleep Or, you know, it's time for me to go to work, or it's time for you to eat your food, or whatever it may be, whatever that boundary may be. Um, Establishing that is important. Otherwise, you get into the situation where it becomes this sort of um you know ball of yarn that continues to unroll and a lot of times I see the toddlers who are just like you know one more book one more song one more I have to pee I you know potty and and bedtime becomes like two or three well, you
0: hours just long just into another topic we were going to ask about <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean you're yes, like yeah, you're, I mean you're in charge of this interview so yeah. Yeah, you, you know all the triggers so I mean yeah we've heard a lot of we had a couple of moms ask about delay tactics we're starting during bedtime they want more books water kisses kisses all the stuffed animals everything in the entire world so yeah what how do you set boundaries around that to where you're you know caring for them but also not in there for four hours
1: yeah exactly well I think that's the point I think you just sort of nailed it on the head we want to make sure there's a time limit on what we're doing and one of the things that helps children when they're feeling insecure is to give them some power in the situation a lot of it is a power struggle and so in order to do that We can give them power with limits. So we can say you get three books, but you get to choose them. You get, you know, you get to kiss all your animals, but you as the parent back up the bedtime start point by five minutes or something. You know, add that into the routine if that's what they want, but they get to, you know, you show them which stuffed animals they get to choose. You know, you get five stuffed animals, you can bring the stuffed animals that you want, but that's it. you know, give them an option. Some are very picky about what they're wearing to bed. So give Mm -hmm. them an option. Do you want these PJs or these PJs? You know, this book or that book. And that way, you're, you're both sort of, you're both having power in the situation, Mm -hmm. and the child feels as though they're being heard. And you're still holding those limits and keeping a cap on that (laughs) bedtime, Mm -hmm. um, while also giving them the ability to make their own choices.
0: Yeah, we found that even just with, with dinner. We've had some um, battle over the high chairs oh, yeah. and giving okay. him the option of he can sit in his high chair or he can sit in a booster seat. He has the option, Right. but those are the options. It's not yes. standing on the table. It's not sitting on yep. mom's lap. It's, you right. know, and, and but when we provided the second option, mm-hmm. he felt empowered and he stopped exactly. fighting because he had a choice.
1: Yeah, I mean, so. giving that choice, especially before age two,
0: like, mm-hmm.
1: you know, in that general area, again, when we're in that sort of n- not yet verbal, you know, v- vocabulary is just developing, basically, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that is a great time to start to establish that and then they they get used to it. And it's no longer a battle.
0: Um, Let's step into one more kind of um nighttime sleep issue. So we started hearing some stuff and had some questions about nightmares and mm-hmm. night terrors. Mm hmm. And we've had definitely Owen wake up multiple times recently. And it's very interesting. He will cry very dramatically. And if we just leave him, he really will continue to cry. But if we go in there, we just pat him on the back. We say, hey, buddy, do you want your stuffed animal? And he goes, uh-huh. And he grabs it and he lays back down and goes right back to sleep. So it is kind of a weird disruption he doesn't really need anything from us but if we don't go in and just pat him on the head and say you're cool buddy go back to bed then he cries for forever so anyway i don't know it almost feels like he's uh, having a nightmare but i don't know if that's just something parents tell themselves to (laughs) make sense of why their child is randomly waking up so what's your experience on that Are, are nightmares a thing
1: oh yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. and they actually develop an infancy Um, yeah I believe it's as young as like five or six months I was actually just um, talking to a client about wonder I don't know if you're familiar with the wonder weeks but yeah yeah, so they talk about you know I think it's in leap five when nightmares um, start to become more regular and that's at six months so um, nightmares are definitely a thing The thing with toddlers, though, is that sometimes you get into a situation where they maybe they have a nightmare and they know that you're gonna uh, uh, they have a nightmare completely unrelated it's the first one you go in you give them the stuffed animal they're like oh that's great and then maybe the next night they wake up or two nights later they wake up and they're like didn't really have a nightmare but they Mm -hmm. knew that when they cried last time you came in Mm -hmm. and did that so it becomes like a regular thing (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: thankfully (laughs) it has not been that yet I mean it might be twice a week okay um which it's it is challenging because part of me is like well i i like i have fallen into all the sleep traps of creating bad habits and going into soothe and then it becomes it's his routine so i i definitely know that but it's also been hard because in the past if we went in there it was like we were in there for 30 or 45 minutes. And now it's literally like 30 seconds. So it's like, do I want to sit here and listen to him cry for 20 minutes? Or do I want to go pat him on the head and (laughs) we all go back to sleep? But I do understand that it can create a, anytime I kind of have a disruptive moment in sleep, mom and dad are going to come you know, say yeah. Hey, so. If
1: it's if it's not habitual, then I wouldn't mm-hmm. even worry about it. But yeah, he could definitely be having nightmares. Now, the diff there is a difference between a nightmare and a night terror, mm-hmm. and night terrors um, generally don't start until after about eighteen months. Um, it's usually the youngest you see them, but they are very different from a nightmare because, as you say, you go into your son, he's awake clearly. You give him the stuffed animal, he's better. With a night terror, you go in and they are not awake. They are unaware of what's going on. It is one of the scariest things I've ever experienced with my own child. Um, they are inconsolable. They don't know that you're even there with them. They may even be saying, like she was saying, mommy, and I was like right there next to her. Um, scientists don't really know what causes them, but some of the things that can cause night terrors that they they surmise may lead to night terrors is overheating um having to go to the bathroom like so urination um and then also being overtired those are some of the things that may lead to it but some children are just prone to them and they can last through early childhood and then they just kind of disappear um and the the crazy thing about them is it's very upsetting for the parent to go in and find their child like this. It's, it's very unsettling because they're clearly not awake and they're also clearly in a lot of distress, but the child does not remember it in the morning and you're not supposed to intervene other than to make sure the child doesn't injure themselves. Um, because it's very, con- because they're not awake, like trying to wake them can scare them even more. So you're kind of just supposed to like stand back and let it happen and and work through it. And it's, it's really terrible. I've experienced it a couple of times. And my experience was um, once when my daughter was really overtired, I think she was probably like two or something. And then another time when she was, um, she had a really high fever. And it was really, really, really scary. It was, like, all night long she was having – it was almost like hallucinations. Oh, goodness. So, that yeah, is
0: very scary. Very unsettling for everybody, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So those are two – they're very different. Okay. Like, people will often ask about about the difference. Um, and it's very similar to, like, sleepwalking. It's one of those things that people eventually grow out of. Okay
0: um all right so on to we had a, a specific question so mama has a around a two and a half year old and her kiddo is waking up barely consistently middle of the night saying calling for mom and saying that they're hungry or thirsty mm. you know what what's kind of your take on that um
1: it sounds like what we were actually just talking just about. Just kind of like almost the delay tactics or the <laughs> yeah, it's, habit it just becomes or whatever. A habit. And yeah. I tell you that they can develop habits literally overnight. Like one mm-hmm. thing happens one night and then it just becomes a thing. And it's like every night it starts to become a thing. And we as parents, of course, are like, oh my gosh, my child's hungry. My child's thirsty. I must be doing something wrong. And then you know, six weeks down the line when this is happening every night and now it's happening more than once a night
0: mm-hmm. and we're
1: exhausted, we're like, what do we do? I mean, I'm saying we because I've gone through it myself. I'm a sleep yeah. consultant, but. <laughs>
0: well, but like, it doesn't make you, you know, immune like, when it's your yeah, own child. Yeah, it's easier I'm, when it's somebody else's child and you're not so emotionally so attached and invested. Yeah. Totally.
1: Yeah. So. You know, it, I don't recommend having a water bottle in, you know, a lot of people ask, do you I've recommend heard a water bottle mm-hmm. in the crib? I don't because, you know, at two and a half, they're getting, if they're not already potty trained, they're getting close to potty training and that will hinder overnight for sure um, if you're having fluids throughout the night. Um, a child at that age, if they're eating well, should not be eating overnight. Should not have a need to eat overnight. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. As long as they don't have a, a weight issue or health issue. Correct. That should not be a concern. Correct. correct. Yes.
1: Yeah, so... It sounds to me like it's more of a, a, a habitual, behavioral sort of thing than. Well, I'm sure that
0: could happen even just so easily. If your kid wakes up for whatever reason, they're upset. You walk in, and I, I've even found myself probing for questions. And I'm like, "Well, are yeah. you thirsty, buddy. Are you hungry?" And they're like, "Yeah, Do you feel sure. Okay? yeah, I'm sure, sick. I'm thirsty." Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and then exactly. it becomes a thing. It's so very yeah. similar to like children that age that maybe still like taking a bottle overnight or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. of course they're gonna eat it if you offer it to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, I guess yeah. if
0: I woke up and somebody offered me like a, you know, candy bar or something, I would probably eat it. Yeah, yeah. Not? It's just kinda you like, know? Oh,
1: okay, sure. That sounds whatever. good. Sure, why
0: not? Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, all right. Since you brought it up, why don't we talk a little bit about potty training overnight? I know yeah. that's not exactly a sleep thing, but it is impacted you know by sleep or sleep impacts it so what's your take and how do you kind of address the overnight potty training
1: yeah so I actually don't really believe in quote-unquote overnight potty training (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of uh, yeah I mean not everyone agrees with me and that's fine but my my personal stance on it is that it is another biological thing so some children are ready to biologically Make it through the night without needing to go to the bathroom Um, and others just aren't quite ready yet. In my experience, what I usually tell people is keep your child in overnight diapers as long as you need to. If the child starts waking, you know, it's been a few weeks of them waking up dry. Okay, they're done. No, no big deal. It's not, in my opinion, it's not something that should be forced. I'm almost forty years old, and I still get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of I the night. And I was just about have. to
0: say that I still yeah. get up. I mean, it's like clockwork between one and two a.m. And it started yeah. once I got pregnant, but I still every night, you know. Well, I've done it, it
1: even. I did it even before pregnancy, and most people—well, not most people, but a lot of people do. Um, and so it, the other thing is, it really is biological. It's it's a developmental thing. Some children are able to hold it longer. Than others, and um, so I, I personally think you run into a lot of issues if you try to like quote unquote train for overnight. Um, Parents wonder why, you know, why are they wetting the bed or how do I handle it? They're waking up at five in the morning to go pee. Well, of course they are. If they went to bed at like seven o'clock, of course they are. And then they're like, oh, well they're not going back to sleep. And it's like, okay, well here's the thing. I mean, we can try a quote unquote dream pee, which is sort of like the idea of a dream feed, except you're taking your child to pee as they're like asleep. (laughs) But then again, you're disrupting their sleep cycle. So then a lot of times that doesn't work because you take your child to, to the bathroom before you go to bed, basically. Mm-hmm. they're semi asleep, but you're disrupting their sleep cycle. And that can then <laughs> lead to difficulty getting them back to sleep after doing that. Or it can because it's disrupted everything, it may lead to some night wakings. So I'm personally of the train of thought just to wait for it to happen naturally. Perfect. Because it will That's a Helpful it
0: perspective. Will. Yeah, like so many things kids will yeah. do it, you know, when they're ready. It's you don't have to force everything just because Gosh. a book says do it by this age or whatever. So we tackled it when it came to baby sleep in episode 24 but it, when in regard to toddler sleep it shifts a little bit so early morning wakings it is just yeah. like again i i know i'm that person that people are gonna be like Oh, shut up you don't understand but um I, you know i know a lot of kids do a lot of kids are up at 5am or you know crazy hour so yeah. I guess how do you deal in that toddler stage you know let's say when they are out of a crib and so they're they're getting out of bed you you mentioned the okay to wake clock so I guess that's yep. an option but yeah, yeah how do you kind of tackle that when your kiddo is now independently and can get out of their bed and they're waking up at 5am
1: yeah so I think the first thing that I look at in those situations is really um you know, what is their schedule looking like? Because again, you know, I was talking about overall sleep needs in a 24 hour period. And sometimes capping the nap can help with early rising. So if you've got a napping child, that's a little bit older, you know, three or four, and all of a sudden they start waking it. Oh, actually, here's an example. I had someone who has a, I think he's 13 months old and he was sleeping an hour in the morning and two to two and a half hours in the afternoon. So he was getting like three to three, three and a half hours of sleep during the day at 13 months. And then, you know, she was putting him to bed at his normal time. I don't know, whatever it was like seven or something, but he started waking up at five and he used to sleep until six or six 30. And so I had, a I said, you know, share your schedule, whatever she shared it with me and I said, oh my gosh, well, he's getting a lot of daytime sleep Mm, for his age. So let's try cutting it back to, let's say, you know, an hour in the morning to up to an hour and a half in the, in the afternoon. And let's see if that shifts things for, and it did. So sometimes it's just a matter of reallocating where the sleep is happening. Um, It's also can, it, it can also be helpful to understand how much a child sleeps or needs to sleep overnight, I have some clients who will always no matter what, no matter when you put them to bed will only sleep, you know, 10 hours. Mm -hmm. If that's the case for your child, you know that you can't put them to bed any sooner than eight, even if it's like beyond the normal quote unquote, wake windows that they're supposed to have. If you know that, you know, that you get into that whole situation where it's nuances, again, like some children, just will only they cap out overnight at ten hours. So in those cases, you need to figure out, you know, what time would that be for my child to get them to six o'clock or, or six thirty, whatever that may be. Yeah. In the sleep consulting world, usually six a.m. is the earliest you want to start your day. So that's why I usually start with six.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and if they wake up early, are you a fan of saying? you know and let's say maybe they they are still in their crib or they're not doing anything disruptive but maybe they're a little fussy they're a little upset they're not super happy they want up are you okay with or do you recommend for some family saying you know we don't get baby out of crib until 6 a.m you know whatever so, they do they can hang out they cannot but
1: yeah i mean i prefer to not reinforce that wake up because the more mm-hmm. we give them the social cue that it's okay to be waking that early the more it's going to be become habitual and okay, you know? Yeah. So the other, but the other flip side of that is that, you know, just like, and I said this to you last time, you know, some adults are early risers and I some am, children so. yep, are I early it. risers. And so I think if you have a child that's never slept past five or 530 or whatever that may be, um, and it just is like, there's no you've never you know maybe once or twice they've slept till six or beyond then i don't think it's fair to leave the child crying in their room for an hour before the start of the day now if there are ways to help them feel more comfortable hanging out if they're a little older and they can understand it those okay to wake clocks can be helpful because you can say okay well the clock turn we you know you can call for me when the clock turns whatever their favorite color is. Um, If you wake before that, you have to stay quietly in your bed. Now, if they're at a certain age um, to understand that and comprehend that, that can help and work well. That being said, like I've seen some very young toddlers start to understand how that works. Um, You mean, as young as like 14 months. But it just depends on the child whether they mm-hmm. can understand what that means or not. Yeah, but ultimately usually, sometimes
0: kids are just early risers and we just yes. have to unfortunately accept that and Yeah, yeah and yeah, I would be say okay with I,
1: You know, I I don't think I think there's usually a way to f- to to adjust it at least a little bit. Um but But not always. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I I always, even when Owen has behaviors that frustrate me, you know, or like he's not consistent, he, you know, stays up later one night or wakes up earlier, I also remind myself that so am I. Sometimes I stay up later and sometimes I wake up earlier. So they are Mm -hmm. also little humans and not Mm -hmm. little robots. So we kind of got to give them, give them some space for that.
1: The other thing to be careful of as far as like getting them up early when they wake up, you know, a lot of times during developmental phases, they'll wake up early. It's just part of that, you know, Mm -hmm. going through something cognitive or physical. Um, I have a lot of clients whose children will go through a phase of like, oh, my gosh, they're waking in the five o'clock hour again. And I remind them, I'm like, are they working on something? And they're like, yeah, they're working on walking or language or whatever. Mm. And I say, I remind them because you forget so easily as a parent. This happens every time your child goes through something developmental. You know, sometimes that's the child's way of like working through the development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in those cases where it's not like the child is consistently waking early, I do recommend that they not get in the habit of getting them up too early because you really, your bodies really adjust very quickly and start new habits very quickly. So um if we can hold off and get through that developmental period and get them back to waking at a normal time, I recommend doing that. Makes sense.
0: All right. So I'd say the last topic in, kind of the most popular topic is I know a lot of mamas that once their kids in that two range, they're expecting a second. And so, Mm -hmm, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of a lot of changes I hear can come with that. Um, So I guess first, so do you frequently see sleep regressions when baby number two comes home for that toddler? Because that's a huge shift in their
1: world. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something to be aware of. I, I don't, you know, it's, It's hard to say if it's frequent. Um, I would say that it's not unexpected. Some children do just fine with it. And then Mm -hmm. others struggle because, and I would say sometimes it's even like out a little bit older children, like three and four who expect a new sibling, because they're so used to being the only child. And they kind of understand that more fundamentally than like a Mm two-year-old. So it kind of the older toddlers is where I tend to see more of a struggle when a new sibling comes along. And I generally recommend that parents try to spend even if it's 20 or 30 minutes of alone time with the child as the new baby comes along throughout the day, each day, that can be really helpful. Also getting back to that idea of giving them power. So giving them jobs, you know, mommy really needs you to be the diaper getter, you know, go fetch Mm -hmm. me the diapers when I need it or whatever that may be um, giving them some power and, and really being excited about the arrival of the new sibling f- in that they have a new role in the family that they're the big brother or the big sister. And it's so exciting and um, trying to put a real positive spin on it uh, while also giving them extra snuggles is really helpful. So, um, okay. So I
0: know, some mamas that are bringing home baby number two and the idea is that baby's going to move from mom and dad's room into the room with the (laughs) toddler because that's just their house you know they only have two rooms or you know whatever (laughs) yeah that terrifies me uh that sounds scary so i guess how soon do you recommend If you have the option in an ideal world, putting a baby in a room with a toddler, how how do you, I guess, I I mean, that's just like, you know, big, I know, I know the answer is if you can avoid it, but let's say you don't have that option at some point, they're going to room share, you know, any... mm, how do you recommend navigating it if you have to?
1: So, the best way to handle it is to try and create two separate spaces within the room so that there's literally like one side for one child and one side for another child. Um, you know, dar- even like a room divider in there, a white noise machine for both of them. Um, I usually it, like if it's an infant that's still eating overnight. Um, we want to make sure that that child is closer to the door so that the parent can att- can attend to that the baby um, without disturbing, you know, walking through the whole room and by, you know, by the other child. Now, <clears throat> interestingly, I've had a lot of clients this fall end of summer who've been in this situation where they are, you know, space limited and they need to get their infant or um, other child into the other room. And what I generally do is, Um, in most cases, these people have the baby, uh, sleeping in their bedroom with them and eventually obviously need to move the baby out of the bedroom and into the other room with the, with the, um, sibling. So what I do is have parents temporarily move out of their own room. I know Mm -hmm. it sounds crazy. Um, but we need to give that child their own, the infant, their own space in order to, learn to sleep independently. So what we Mm -hmm. do is we work on sleep for that child in the parent's room while the parents sleep on the living room floor or something like that. Yeah, that
0: makes sense. Yeah, I've never even thought about that. Mm -hmm.
1: And then once baby is sleeping well, then we transition baby into the new room and parents go back into their own room. Um, I, you know, I prefer to wait until the child is not having overnight feedings or anything like that if it, it, you know, sometimes there's no way around. Yeah, that. there's not a perfect but, world. But if you can't, right? You but hold if you on. can, if you're mm-hmm. able to wait until the child is old enough to make it through the night without feeding, um, it makes it a little bit easier so that you're not disturbing the older child. But um, creating that those two separate spaces is really nice. It's a little different than dealing with, you know, multiples or twins. In most cases, twins are sharing a room, but they're usually on the same schedule. Mm -hmm. So when we work with twins, we get them very synced up. Um, But with older children, you know, the the older one may be not napping and, uh, you know, or going to bed later, whatever it may be, their schedules may be different, which is why I like to sort of... Make sure there's two separate spaces. Um, Makes sense.
0: So if, let's say, you know, mom and dad do what you recommend, and in order to do some, uh, you know, we, we discussed in the first episode how we kind of hate the word sleep training, but yeah, you know, doing some reinforcing yeah. of helping babies self soothe and put themselves sleep back training, to sleep. Training, yes, that's sleep fine. training. Yes, whatever we, we want to call it. Yeah. I know, I just hate that phrase, but anyway, I do too. I so do too. mom and dad move out of their room. The younger baby stays in their room. They're doing yes. some sleep training with them. Yes. What do you recommend doing
1: sound-wise, I guess, just trying to put some extra white noise around yeah, to not
0: interrupt the older child's
1: sleep? Yeah. I mean, I think parents are usually more concerned about it than it actually turns out to be. Mm-hmm. In most cases, children sleep through their siblings' cries. Yeah. yeah. And it's true with twins, too.
0: Um, but I've heard that, and that boggles my mind. I have a friend with yeah. twins who would say, one would just sleep through the other. Yep, and I just yeah. That- scares
1: me. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, that the one there's always a feistier twin, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and so they were probably feisty in the womb, too. You know, they're, they're just used to the way their, their twin is. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But as far as siblings go, yeah, I often recommend like white noise in the hallway, Mm -hmm. as well. So one in the room, and then one in the hallway. But in most cases, I find that it really isn't a big deal it's not Good. usually a problem okay maybe not as scary which is as why you, thought, you definitely yeah. don't want to do like sleep training while the child is in the room with the older sibling
0: I, that's what i cannot yeah. imagine that no I've that would some not work parents that like got the older child to go sleep in the living room and made it like a slumber party in the tent
1: in the yeah, living room so you know you so could, I don't... yeah you could definitely do that um mm-hmm. a lot of times the people that I work with, their older child has had st- <laughs> trouble sleeping, too. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to disrupt. Yeah. Preserve chi- somebody's exactly, sleep. Exactly. But I, But I would say that's a good idea. Like having a slumber party with mom and dad or whatever that might be. Or um, having the ch- older child go to a relative's house for the weekend or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's probably not as possible. But yeah. um, in normal times, you could say, you know, want to go yeah. to grandma's house for the weekend? And, yeah then do it that way. But yeah, those are definite options for it. And it usually works pretty well. Just giving the, the, the child, the younger child, um, the space to learn and not disrupt everyone else is really yeah. important.
0: <sighs> Don't look forward to it, but oh well, <laughs> we'll survive. They, you, will. you made it. You, you made it not sound terrible. Will. Well, I reminded we got through all of our sleep challenges the first round, and everything's right. a phase. You move forward. So exactly, this too shall pass. Well, thank you. This is all so helpful. So, do you have any thank- other any other tips or tricks or challenges you see when it comes to toddler sleep that we didn't kind of cover already?
1: <sighs> um, gosh. You got me on a friday so I'm, i know
0: I'm, I'm with you
1: my brain is mush i mean i think it's important to understand that toddlers and then of course young preschoolers they have anxieties and fears and so this is something that's very different than working with an infant so making sure that you're really thinking about the fact that there could be anxieties and there could be fears but also understanding that children thrive off boundaries, and they feel secure and safe because of boundaries. So even if it's kind of hurting us to try and enforce those boundaries, it's helping them in the long run. And as long as you're giving that extra care and love during the day, um, your child's going to be just fine. So consistency, boundaries, all of that, I think that's really the key to making it through those toddler yeah. and young young preschool age you learned
0: you just give yourself a pep talk as a mom and and do it beyond honestly
1: I feel like a lot of times it's the anticipation of changing things that's Mm -hmm. the hard part and then you know after a few nights you're like oh my goodness why did I wait so long to do this so just remembering that children are resilient they learn very quickly and they know that you love them (laughs) yeah you know that's that's important so I love that. Well,
0: thank you again for coming back on. Um, this is all yeah, so helpful and has you. eased my personal fears a little bit. So I'm sure Good. other mamas will find it super helpful. Yeah. And um, share a little bit more about, you know, where people can find you and also just what you do. I know you mentioned that you just started a new
1: project. And so why don't you share a little bit about that? So you can find me at expect to sleep again. And that's expect to sleep.com. Um, but you can also find me at Restfully Sleep, which is a brand new project that I've been working on in depth over the last few months during COVID. I mean, what better time to work on a new business than <laughs> when we're all stuck at home? <laughs> um, but its I'm super excited to share this with the world. And we have our beta launch happening right now. I personally am in charge of something called Rest Academy, and we are dedicated to providing um, science based education for people who want to become pediatric sleep consultants. And our goal is really to bring science data and empathy to the world of pediatric sleep training and sleep coaching. Um, I'm very, very excited to begin this new journey. Um, you could still find me and my team over at expect to sleep again for now, but, um, I definitely urge you to be on the lookout for restfully because we are coming at you very soon.
0: Well, you've just been sitting around during COVID twiddling your thumbs. I can tell. (laughs) It's like all these people that I know that are just like, God, I'm just so bored. I'm like, how are you bored? There's so (gasps) many things that can happen. Yeah, definitely not bored,
1: definitely not bored. No, thinking about, uh, you know, it's been very interesting during this time, I think, you know, sleep problems have become so prevalent to parents because they're home more. And they're understanding how important sleep is to their entire family. And so that is the goal of Restfully. Um, We really want to reach the masses and be able to deliver quality sleep coaching to the world. Um, And that's, that's really our mission. And Again, it's so prevalent right now. And the best part is, is that we're also... In the works for adult sleep coaching as well, so I'm very excited uh, sign about me what the up future holds. that. I know. I need it myself. I, I know. Even say
0: that, but. Uh, it's true, though. I mean, we yeah. all we all struggle with those type of things and the habits yeah. around it and everything. So I can't wait to follow what you guys do. I know. I really love you know kind of the science based approach. I think yes. there can be so many emotions wrapped up in sleep, whether it's yep. especially for our kiddos. So I think having some science backed information can really um, help help give a better understanding. So we are so excited to continue to follow your work and your projects and we will definitely be sharing that with our community as they evolve so you're definitely a part of the abc's matrescence family and we really appreciate all that you have added so thank you again for coming back on
1: Well, I'm honored. Thanks again. And I hope I can come back again sometime. I know. We will
0: (laughs) absolutely. Well, I think if you get into adult sleep, we are on board. So we can have a sleep of all the different ages. We are totally down. So, well, thank you again. And thank you to our listeners. And we will talk at you guys soon.
1: Bye. Bye.